Today's reading is from John chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, and it is good to be with you uh, today. My name is Anthony Gamage. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at New Life, and it is good to be with you. We are, uh, as you just heard, going to continue through the Gospel of John today. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, your Bible apps or whatnot, open in them to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 11 today. And, and uh, if you weren't here last week, just so you know what's going on, we're trying to open up by you hearing uh, God's Word read initially by a voice other than my own. Uh, but also, we're trying to kind of wean ourselves off of relying on the PowerPoint slides uh, and, and just encouraging us to bring an actual Bible of some sort. Uh, and for those of you who don't have a Bible, you don't know what Bible apps are out there, uh, we also have the text printed in your bulletin as well. And so uh, just drawing that to your attention. And really, the, the point of all of this is uh, for us to truly be formed as disciples of Jesus Christ, there is an element where... Um, our noses in Scripture as we're hearing it read and taught is more formative than if we see a PowerPoint slide flash up for a whole second and then it disappears. And so just know it's an intentional move and we're asking the Lord to help us as we continue down that road. But uh, John 4, um, or John 1, verses 4 to 11 is where we'll be today. And for those who missed uh, the introduction last week, we're going to be spending quite some time in the Gospel of John with some breaks in between, but uh, the Gospel of John is easy in a sense to understand what he's getting at, because if you go to almost the very end of the book, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he gives the whole point of what he's trying to accomplish. He says, I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning Savior, and the Son of God, meaning God, and by believing this, you may have eternal life. And so that, that's it. If you were to squeeze the Gospel of John, that's the drop that comes out. He's not hiding anything from us. That's what he's driving us towards. And so uh, that's where we were last week. The reason we're doing this is we live in an age where we do one of two things with Jesus. We either focus on a very narrow sliver of who he is in his fullness, right, and, and hyper-focus there to our demise by missing the rest of who Jesus is, or we just formulate our own ideas about Jesus in our heads rather than letting God's revealed, uh, revealing of himself in his word shape that for us. And so that's some of the why and then last week we looked at the first three verses of this book where John essentially says by starting off with the term in the beginning, which drives us right back to Genesis 1, uh, he is articulating that this, up to this point, he calls him the logos or word. This word is God himself who has come into the world. And so that's where we are headed here this morning. We're going to build off of that. So before we get going, I don't know, has anybody, you don't have to put your hands up, but seen 13 Lives, it's a movie that's just recently come out uh, on, uh, I think it's Amazon Prime. It's based off of the real life events that happened in Thailand a number of years ago, where there was uh, a youth 
we would call it soccer, they would call it football team, uh, that basically they had wrapped up practice, at least this is how it's depicted in the movie, and they're like, hey, before we go to this birthday party, let's go run to the cave, right, where they go and hang out sometimes and, and, and chill a little bit, and then they'll go to the party. So they go to this cave, and while they're there, uh, the monsoon season comes a little bit early. And when the rains start coming, it essentially floods the cave out and it traps them in the cave and it actually pushes them deeper and deeper into that cave. And, and really what unfolds, this is a spoiler alert, I'm sorry if this ruins your like Friday night wa- movie watching, but it was in the news, like it was pretty loud and proud. But over the course of 18 days, over 5,000 volunteers from 17 countries, including 100 divers, worked effortless or, or worked with great effort. Uh, to rescue them, and, and they were rescued, right? So let's, uh, we can all breathe, right? But what you won't be able to do during this movie is breathe, especially if you're claustrophobic, because they're swimming in these little teeny caves where it takes about seven hours to swim one way, right? So just, if you're claustrophobic, don't do it. It's not worth it, but for the rest of us, uh, you might enjoy that movie. But there's one stark scene, I didn't realize this until I was, I was watching the movie, these boys, right, these were all boys and the one coach who was uh, trapped in there with them, they did not see another human being. They didn't have communication with the outside world. They didn't even know if people knew they were missing for about nine days. And remember, they're in a cave, right? They had some flashlights with very limited battery, but for the most part, that was nine days of complete darkness. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of darkness where you literally can't see your hand in front of your face. I was talking to somebody after the first service, and they were giving me all these uh, statistics and, and realities of psychologically what happens to you after minutes of being in that sort of darkness and the disorientation. Imagine nine days as a child, right, wondering if you're going to be rescued. And so one of the um, scenes that just blew my mind is that moment where two of the divers had worked their way through the cave system and finally you see these a couple of lights just slowly flicker through and then emerge from the water and and i just cannot imagine what that moment meant and felt like to these soccer players to these boys what what must that have felt like in that moment light invaded this dark cave where there was no light uh, no, no light at all. It was complete darkness. It changed everything, right? In that moment, all of a sudden you went, oh, there is potential life for us outside of this cave, right? And in that darkness was death. Well, in a way, here's what John is saying to us today as we read through this text. He's saying that Jesus is God, right? That is last week. And he's saying that God invaded humankind and brought to a dark world the light of life. And he's going to push us today a little bit to say this is such a dramatic inbreaking that we are forced to do something with it. All right? So that's where we're headed. So here's the first main point. It's in your bulletin. Also, there's some reflection questions in there. Uh, just an FYI if you want to follow up with this later. But, but here's the first main point we're going to look at is that God showed up in history. All right. So uh, remember last week we talked about this idea of John, we're in the prologue, the beginning, and, and he's kind of like a, a coach who goes outside with a bag of soccer balls, and the prologue is him just dumping the soccer balls out on the ground, right? What happens if you need to move the soccer balls from one point to another after you dump them out on the ground, if, if you don't put them back in the bag? You got to kick them, right? You kick one, and you come over here and kick the other, you walk a few feet, and you kick it again, and that's essentially what he's doing with many of these themes that he introduces to us here at the outset of the book. And so here, light and life 
or a couple of these themes. Now, uh, we're going to be a little murky at the end of this going, what exactly does he mean? He develops this later on, uh, but he gives it a kick today, these two themes. So let's uh, talk about, first of all, what he means by light here. And again, the other illustration that I gave last week to understand how John operates as you read through the book is it's kind of like a wiki page. You go to a Wikipedia page and you start reading the article and there's a bunch of words in blue and underlined and when you click on it, it takes you to another wiki page that explains something. So here, we said last week when it starts with in the beginning, uh, there's a little blue highlight saying, oh, that's taking us back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And so when we start talking about light here as our first sub-point, he's, he's initially, we go at first blush, he's always talking about creation again, Right? You can look in your bulletin or you can thumb back to Genesis 1, but I don't know if you notice how many times in the first five verses, um, as, as it's recorded here, Moses talks about light. Do you see it? Well, first of all, he says there was darkness over the face of the deep in verse 2. And then God said what? Let there be light, right? And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God separated it light from darkness. So Moses is making a point, and I think John is making a point still, that, that Jesus is God, but there's more to it. In this first verse, in verse 4, he's not just stopping with this idea that Jesus is God. He says this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now that men can also be uh, translated as mankind or humankind. And so here's what I think he's saying at the outset. This word uh, has invaded history. God himself has erupted on the plains of human history. He is not a God who stays in the sky, who just kind of floats down a scroll for us to to learn about. No, it's saying God himself invades human history. And as he does it, he brings light and life. Now, there's a lot of ambiguity here is what he's talking about, about light and life. But here's the one thing we can uh, discern from this text right here is light and life are very parallel to one another. At least that is what he's saying. He's saying this light is life. Now, uh, the, uh, the, the contrast to that is what? What's the opposite of that? Darkness, right? And, and what's the opposite of life? Is death. And so essentially, uh, light is life and darkness here is death. And, and here's where I want to begin to go is this isn't just revelation about Jesus and his work of creation, but, but I think there's also an element of salvation to this. Now, we're going to do a little bit of a teaser for, you know, the sermon I'm going to preach probably in a decade or so when we get to John 8. But it says, and Jesus, I'm just kidding, um, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so again, soccer ball, and he continues to kick it down the field. But, but here's what John's starting off with for us today, is he's saying, God showed up in history in the form of Jesus Christ, and he is the light and life of the world. Let's go back to the cave. Before those divers showed up, what was it? There was darkness. And for them, that darkness actually did mean a physical death. If they didn't make it out of there soon, their lives would end. At creation, right? When there was darkness and nothing but darkness, there was no life. It wasn't until God's creative event where light came into being and life eventually flowed from that. And I think what John is driving us to is saying, hey, Jesus did come to a world where there was human life, but he's saying there was spiritual darkness and there is spiritual death. He's coming to a world that without him, there is no spiritual life. There is only spiritual death. 
Why does this matter? Here's, here's what this means for us. This does not leave room for us to treat Jesus as a self-help Jesus. Jesus did not come to earth just to smooth off our rough edges. He came to earth to make spiritually dead people alive, to raise us from the dead. We don't have an edge to shave off. He's also saying that Jesus is bigger than simply one who comes to... to, um, Help the sick and the poor, right? That is certainly an aspect of what Jesus came to do. But even that drives us to this reality of brokenness that needs a remedy that only God himself can send in Jesus. Friends, at this point, we should be forced to reckon with who Jesus really is. You only have two options. You can either say, John, just go fly a kite or something. I'm going to ignore you. You're dumb. You know, I, I don't believe this. Or you can really do business with what this means. One pastor said it this way, if I brought an elephant to your living room and put it in there, you would be forced to do something with it. Jesus is that elephant where he has been thrust into human history and said, you got to deal with the elephant. Either you ignore him, you just kind of walk around the elephant the whole rest of your life, or you do business with what this actually means. All right, here's point two. Someone saw it. God invaded history, and someone saw it. Verse 6, do you see it? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this isn't the John who wrote this book. We know from the other Gospels this is John the Baptist. And what does he say about John? What's his role? First of all, he is sent, right? He's on a mission from God. And then verse 7, here's a repeated word that we are going to pay attention to another soccer ball throughout the rest of this book. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light. And then in verse 8, uh, he came to bear witness about the light. That term, witness, is the Greek term martyria, which is where we get the idea of martyr from. And this is really a, a, a picture, a motif, I guess. I don't even know what that word means, really. I shouldn't say words I don't mean. But, but anyway, uh, John is bringing this courtroom idea throughout the rest of his gospel. And when we get to chapter 5, we're going to talk about what that means. But, but in part... Um, Verse 7 really tells us the whole point of why John is a witness at this point. Do you see it? He says, so that through him uh, all might believe. And so John, what I think uh, John is saying here is, is that God furthers his kingdom through witnesses who have seen this inbreaking of light and life. John is essentially saying, someone was there. When Jesus Christ showed up in the book of Acts, it doesn't say words like evangelism when it talks about what the church was doing, what the apostles were doing as the church spread. He said they were simply witnesses. They're just on the stand saying, I saw Jesus. He changed my life. This is what it means for you. And so that's the picture we have of God furthering his kingdom through witnesses. This summer uh, on sabbatical, it was a couple of weeks into it. I flew to St. Louis for one of my classes uh, and it was one of those that was late I was grumpy. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, You know where this is going. When you fly on planes, people just start talking. So I got the little bus to the rental car place. Uh, I show up. I, you know, I meet a truck driver and two, like a married couple who were both pastors. 
It was a fascinating ride uh, as we were going to the rental car uh, desk. Then when we got there, it was just one of the most miserable scenes I've ever been to. We walk in this room. There's like 40 of us, 50 of us standing in this long snaking line. Everybody's grumpy. Nobody's talking. You can hear like people breathing. There's no music. The people standing behind the desk are just click, click, click. They're literally not using words. I'm like, what, what is going on? Like it was, it was terrible. And so we're sitting there and, and this guy, this truck driver that I met, he just begins talking to me. And I'm like, no, nah, guy, I'm not, I'm just, I just, I'm not feeling it. Like, you know, and, and so he, he starts talking to me and then he just asks, he asks the question that I just, anyway, he said, what do you do? I'm like, oh, so, so here's why I did that. Uh, one, I'm a sinner. Uh, two, um, these days that usually goes one of three places and rarely the third, but, but usually it's, oh, in, in some form of canceling, right? I get canceled because I'm a pastor or it's somebody else who is like, oh, well then you must vote this way so I can talk to you about my candidate and bash the other side. Like that's where this goes these days and I don't like it. Um, anyway, those two places, whatever. The third place is sometimes we actually get to talk about Jesus, right? And that one, I think I wanted, but kind of, if I'm honest in my heart, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I even want to do that. In fact, I did pray this prayer. You ready? This is going to show you how messed up I am. I said, God, I'm on sabbatical. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit was like, not for me, right? And so, and so it was a total Nineveh moment. Like I'm running from Nineveh. There's a fish and I'm, you know, and, and the guy is like, so here's how I grew up. It was like religion, religion, keep all the rules and everybody finds their own way. Do you think that's right? I'm like, oh man. And then, and then we just keep going. So eventually I start sharing the gospel with this guy and I'm just going, well, actually that was religion. I want to point you to a relationship with a person. I start talking about Jesus and why the rules are there and why it's an overflow of our love for him. And he's like, I've never heard this stuff before. It was totally like, like, you can't make this stuff up. I'm, I'm just sitting there going, this is unbelievable. This guy's coming to faith right in front of me. And I feel the blood go back to my spiritual limbs because I realize how infrequently I do this. But Paul and Philemon says, hey, I pray that the sharing of your faith may be effective to remind you of all the promises and riches you have in Christ Jesus. And that's what was happening. Now, at the end, I forgot that I was like the next person in line. They're like, excuse me, sir, sir. You know, and I'm walking up. I'm like, hold on, Jesus, I gotta, yeah, I gotta... I got a car that's too small for me. Can you give that for me? And, and so um, what was really cool at that moment is the couple, the pastors behind him said exactly what he said is what we believe and let's get coffee and keep talking about this this week. And it was just really cool. I'm pretty sure the guy came to the kingdom, but, but here's, here's why I share this with you is that God has erupted into history, not just to save us from our own spiritual deadness and darkness, but so that we can be witnesses to that salvation to others. And we fall into this rut as Christians because we live in a tough culture, right? In the Northeast, this is not a, an easy task where it's easy for us to go down the road of politics or whatever that may be. But when we witness to Jesus Christ, we are reminded that he has brought us from death to life and our faith comes alive. And that's what he's called us to, to be his witnesses, just like John was. Last point. Point number three. There's a crisis. There's a crisis. Here's the crisis. Verse 9. We have this idea of there are different types of light. There are different types of light. Did you hear that when, when it was read? The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That term true is important. Because if you, if you flesh it out a little bit more, it's this idea of, um, of 
proving something to be real or genuine. And what this assumes is that there are lights that aren't real or genuine. And those lights actually leave us in a place of death and darkness. Throughout the rest of this book, we are going to see Jesus saying, I am the true vine. I am the true bread. I am the true God. And there's a million other gods. False lights. False lights that are vying for your attention. And they will only yield darkness and death spiritually. If you've been around New Life long enough, you've heard this illustration before. Having grown up at the beach or going down the shore, as we say up here, you may or may not have been familiar with the moments where they partition off a part of the beach because sea turtles have made a nest. Have you ever experienced that before? It happens during certain times of the year. One, because they're endangered and they don't want you putting an umbrella through the nest, right? But then sometimes they'll put volunteers uh, sitting right there next to it around the clock. And the reason for that, at least in part, is because, you know, God has just designed these sea turtles amazingly so that when the full moon is just right over the water, the little sea turtles will pop up and they'll see the moon. They'll be like, ah, you know, water. And they know where to go because that water is safety for them. At least more safe, right, than the sand. On the sand, there's seagulls that are going to pick you off. There's no water. They're not going to survive, right? Remaining on the sand is certain death. Part of the reason that they'll sit these volunteers there, though, is now that we've built up all these houses and whatnot around the beach, guess what there are? They're false lights, or lesser lights, if you will. So, right, little baby turtle pops up. He's like, hey, there's a light. He starts scurrying, and he's like, I'm at Wawa. Like, this is the wrong place to be. <laughs> Cup of coffee's not going to save the turtle. So, so these little volunteers make sure that they are following after the true light, Right? And that's what John is reminding us here, that there are true lights and there are false lights. And friends, we can list the myriad of lights where our culture says, here's life, here's life. It's power, it's money, it's a relationship, it's our sexuality. These are what's going to give you life. And I think if we hang around long enough, we see that no, that some of these things are good things, but if we treat them as God things, they will destroy us spiritually, relationally, And the list could go on. Here's the more sinister part of the crisis that I think we face in this text, is that we actually miss the light because it's who we are. Did you read 10 and 11 here? It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He's saying... This God, creator, came to the world, right? It's like God standing in the middle of Times Square and everybody just walks past him and is like, who's that guy? Totally misses him. And then it goes a little bit deeper in verse 11. He says, he even came to his own people and they didn't receive him. You know, Israel, of all people, the ones who have the prophecy of the Messiah, they should have been the ones who go, that's him. They didn't see him. Actually, it says they didn't receive him. Why is that? Well, verse 9 has an interesting phrase. He says he's the true light who gives light to everyone. We can read that. We could actually misread that very easily. We could say, hey, Jesus came. That means everybody's saved. That's not at all what that means. Uh, if you read this a little more deeply, the two camps where people say this is probably what he's saying, one is there's a form of general revelation uh, to this. Romans 1 talks about there's a sort of way that God reveals himself to all people where, uh, some are, where nobody is really without excuse right? That's general revelation. There's also this idea, especially here where he's talking about Israel and non-Israelites, where he's saying, no, uh, Jesus shines on people without distinction, meaning it's not just primarily to Israel now, it's to all people. 
But I think if we do a little bit more homework, especially with verse 10, where this idea of world, we get a deeper understanding of where John is going. He says world three times right there, and so when you see a repeated word, it's important to pay attention to it. And John, if you read the rest of his gospel, um, every single time where it's very clear what he's talking about when he uses the term world, it's negative. He's talking about the world in this sense, that it's the created order in rebellion against his maker. That's how you read it here. Now, there's some amb- ambiguous times in John where it's talked about, but, but the most noticeable times in how John uses the term world, it's cosmos in Greek, like cosmos, it's not in a positive light. And so here's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying, uh, sorry, this isn't on there. I don't mean to mess you up. Uh, he's saying that as John 3.19, we read earlier, people loved darkness more than light. By nature, we are actually spiritually dead. That's what Ephesians 2 says. He says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And some of you might be going, no, I'm not. Like, I just need self-help, Jesus, just to smooth rough off, uh, or smooth off my rough edges. But what John is saying here is he gives light to reveal the fact that we are all in rebellion against the God of the universe. And you know, sometimes we are not picking up on the fact that we are as spiritually dead and depraved as we are because we don't know we're dead. Think about it. How many dead people do you know who know they're dead? Right? I don't mean to be offensive. In fact, it's an indictment against everyone who calls on the name of Christ. In order to say I'm a Christian, you must have started by saying, I am spiritually dead and cannot save myself. I needed saving. It's offensive. Welcome to Christianity. It's also remarkably merciful. Romans 5, 6 to 8. Let me read this briefly. It's not on a slide, but just, but just listen. Here's what Paul says. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You ever thought about that? Let's go back to the cave for a second. If you were trained, if you were a trained diver, and you were there at the mouth of the cave, most of us would go, I'm putting on a tank and I'm swimming. Why? Because these are like 12 little boys in there. They're so innocent, they have their whole lives ahead of them. Of course we would go risk our lives, right? Right? At least we think we would, right? Until we got to the cave and we got scared, right? But, but generally, that's how we would feel. But what if somebody said, hey, there's 12 murderers in there. They need saving. Would we think twice? What if we added to it and said, they actually killed your family? Would we put on the tanks? Would we save those murderers, those wretches? You know the Bible verse we just read, so that's exactly what Jesus did. He put on the tank at great risk to himself and came down to the most wretched of world who had rebelled against him, walked past him, did not receive him, but he swam on. And he saved us, but it did cost him his life. That's the cross. That's what we're talking about this light did. This light reveals the crisis of our hearts, but it also reveals the character of our God, who is to be loved and adored not just because he came to the world, but because he came to a world that hated him, that wanted nothing to do with him, and he died for them, for you and for me. And for us. 
That's the gospel. And that's what John is talking about here today. And so, friends, just a simple question. Are are you at a crisis point where you go, wow, I think I am spiritually dead. I think I keep coming back to church because I just keep getting pulled by this spiritual life thing that I don't understand. And maybe today's the day you go, I want to believe in you as my Lord and Savior. You're going to have an opportunity to think about that as we partake of communion. And, And I would just encourage you to talk to someone around you and say, okay, help me understand this. But also for those of us who have just kind of fallen dead to the spiritual life in us, kind of like me before I was sharing the gospel with that guy that day, maybe we just hit our knees at some point today or right now and say, Lord, I have forgotten your light and your life. Would you make it fresh to me today? Let me pray and then we're going to transition to communion this morning. Lord, you are our light and our life Yet constantly, our hearts want to just walk past it. We are underwhelmed by you. The Lord, what John is saying here is, is we actually, if we're underwhelmed, we're missing the elephant in our living room. We're missing the diver who at great risk came to us who did not deserve it. Oh Lord, for those of us who have known you for a long time, and this message just kind of gets crusty, would you make it fresh? And Father, for those who just keep showing up and keep hanging out with this Christian person and we don't know why, Lord, may you finally open their eyes to this is why. So they may know you, their Savior, and their God and may have eternal life in your name. Be with us as we move towards communion, we pray in your name. Amen.